Musical Theater Writer Guy is recorded as a YouTube channel series on Muncie Lenape and Canarsie lands. The audio from each episode is also released here in podcast form. To watch or to learn more, please find us on YouTube or through my website at michaelraddy.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-A-D-I dot com. Enjoy the show. I just love smart people. Mm. This is what I keep, this is what I've said it a couple of times and I think it's so, so valuable. I don't have all the answers and I, and other people do. And my job as the director is to, to listen and then decide which, where we're going to go with it. Right. But um, the, the, the team was, the team is incredible and um to always have a team like that is a, would be a dream, right? Um, to have designers who are at the top of their game, truly at the top of their game, um, who care about story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the interview series, Writer Real Talk, where we talk with originating artists and people who love to uh, help develop new musical theater here on the channel. And today... I've got my friend and colleague, Chris J. Handley, um, on with us today. Uh, Chris and I, well, we're goofballs, but we we met first in a more professional way, I think, back in 2014, <laughs> when uh, that was my first summer at Bristol Valley Theater, and we were both in Les Mis, and I have to say, knowing Chris in the capacity of an actor first, uh, clued me into the genius of this man, and he will balk at that, but he oh, is a sm- oh, good, I love that. <laughs> He's a smart, smart cookie, as... Uh, as a director, as an artistic director, as a performer, uh, as a singer in general, and I love this man so much. So I'm very happy to bring on to the podcast today, podcast, interview, whatever it is, Christopher J. Hanley. Hey, buddy, welcome. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's a cold fall day in October. I know. Here we are. It has finally arrived, and my life is better with the autumnal season. I was saying I put on my fall my fall hoodie, and here we are, ready to go. First sweater day. I, I'm I'm stoked about it. It's great. Uh, Chris, uh, you wear a lot of hats, so I'm going to ask of you if if you were to um, tell tell someone how you identify, like as an artist. What would you say? Oh God. Uh, um, well, uh, I. Uh, this is how I think a lot of this is going to go. There's going to be a lot of. <laughs> going on. Um, uh, I mean, my my day job is the executive artistic director world, right? That's what I do in my in my day. Of where um, my my training up until this point was all as an actor. Um. And so, and then, and then in, in between those things, directing became a thing and also teaching became a thing, um, which is also a part of my sort of day life. So, uh, all of those things, I, um, uh, that's how I, that's how I identify as many things. I, whatever needs to be done right now, whatever fire needs to be put out, that's the hat that I put on. Ah, fair enough. The, the, uh. 
the life of multi-hyphenate kind of seems that way. <laughs> well, aren't we all? I mean, I think we have to be. Um, mm. You are. And I think that more than... Um, I was just talking to a playwright about this the other day, about um, like auditioning, the audition process, right? Is no longer just the audition process of me going into the room with my headshot and resume stapled and going in to sing a song for somebody. It's now being a, a videographer and an editor and, as, and knowing all of those things and having to have all of those skills. So I think that we... Uh, uh, have become that by necessity right now. That is so very true. Mm -hmm. Oh man, yeah. And then even thinking about from the other side of the table, receiving all those auditions in the way that we have to reorganize everything to try to make art happen <laughs> in a way where it's no longer those interpersonal relationships, just one-on-one -on -one in person in the room, arrive for your appointment or go to the open call sort of thing. It's very different. Yeah, and I and I hate it. <laughs> Say more about that. On, you know, I think on both sides, I have not, I have not had to do the audition process in this way. Mm -hmm. um, I've been lucky in that, but I've sat on the other side, and receive tapes come in, and uh, it's it's hard. It's it's hard. You don't. It's a totally different medium, and seeing people in two D or seeing exactly what they want you to see. Right, that they have crafted this perfect, perfect um, tape um, doesn't let you see the the the, the who they are, the right. the reality of this person, and and feel their um their you know their their mojo right in the room, and know that this is somebody that I actually want to spend time with or not, mm. uh, which to me is a big part of the audition, uh, the audition process. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, well, let's run with this tangent for a second because it's a good tangent. Um, so do you, when you receive uh, auditions, video auditions, do you use that as like a screening process to then do a live online callback? How's that work for you guys? Um, also, you haven't said where you're the artistic director of? The Alleyway Theater in Buffalo, New York. There it is, yeah. Alleyway is uh, in our 43rd season of producing and developing new plays and original musicals. And we've been uh, doing it for a long time. And uh, and we will continue to do it. The city renewed our lease through 2048. So yes. we're at least doing it till 2048. <laughs> um, uh, what's the question? Do, uh, the screening process. Yeah. I um, so for the the play that um, is our first play of the season, the Magnolia Ballet, we did see some tapes um, from people out of town. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and because they were, we, we actually just looked at the tapes. We didn't then do a live, um, a, a live virtual live thing. Mm -hmm. um, but now this, the, the, the show that's happening in the winter is called the Olive Complex. Um, and uh, we are doing a combination of in-person, real old-fashioned auditions. But some people who can't make it are sending in tapes and we're using them as the screening of, do we want to see that person come into the room? Um, we just had a tape come in the other day. And I mean, we're not receiving, you know, we're not doing this like a casting office and seeing thousands and thousands of tapes. Right. Um, 
but we did just have, you know, a couple tapes come in and, and I, I said to the director, I just hate this. I don't know. Yes. The person, yes. You know, they, they've checked the boxes, but are they, are they, do they have it, it, whatever that mysterious thing is. So to me, it's a screening of, yeah. Do I want to take you, do I want to take it to the next step? Yeah. And yeah. also, I guess we have been doing a lot of tape because our second show, which is called Burst, uh, the director was out. He was in um, Italy this summer, right? So he was looking at tapes. But his casting of it came even before the read. Like he got the tape of this one, one of the actors and um, based on her just like, hi, how are you conversation before she even got to the sides he decided that she was it, right? So it's like we say in the old fashioned world that the audition begins as soon as you walk in the room, it does on your tape too. And, and, and you know, use that opportunity, I think, to, uh, to show us who you are. Huh. Oh, that's very interesting. We're in this world, sorry, I'm just keep talking about things, but we're in this world, we, we keep, um, we, we want everything to be perfect. Mm -hmm. We are yeah. not perfect. We will never be perfect. Don't, don't expect ever perfection, right? Try, uh, strive for the perfection, but love the, love the mistakes. That's the, Absolutely. Yeah. you know, when we see something on stage, we love the mistakes. We love to see the ball get dropped and then somebody have to pick it up. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's what makes us humans. And that's what makes us, want to want to spend time yes. in the rehearsal room together yeah i mean perfectionism is something that doesn't exist and we all should just acknowledge that and i think that's great mm -hmm. but also so this is interesting as a conversation so having just done i was the musical director for once at bristol valley theater this past summer so having gone through the casting process completely online of that show that was very interesting because not only did we get submissions of like people singing a song but also there are so many instruments that we had to be looking at and checking for so like that submission process was interesting we got a lot that came in and you know I think I found a little bit easier of a time than our director did Karen in uh, weeding through the first round I knew what was going to work and what wasn't going to work enough to then be like hey I want to see this person live on Zoom in a callback. Mm -hmm. But then you're totally right. Even then, you don't get a full vibe of people. You can get like a semi-vibe, like a muted vibe, if you will. Because then like we'd cast the show and did the thing. Then meeting these people this summer in person, I was like, oh my God, my heart. Had I seen you in the room to begin with, I'd have wanted to work with you immediately. <laughs> You know, yeah, we have no idea. We 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 build a persona of who we think people are based on the Zoom box, and uh, and it's it's wild to then meet somebody in person, physically that you have been talking to before through the callback. Or, I mean, we did with some board members. We had board members come in this year that we have been talking for a year and a half now on Zoom, and saw each other in person last month, and it was uh, shocking. <laughs> to see people as, as human beings. So I hope it all ends soon. <laughs> well, I do think on this? that- Can I say bad words on this? 
Oh, yes, we will get the fun explicit rating. It'll be great. Oh, do you want that? Because I it makes me feel cool, Chris. I just want it to fucking end. <laughs> Fair enough. See, now I feel cool. Thank you for that. You did that for me. Um, you know, though, I, I don't think we'll ever get away from hybrid. I think it's going to be a thing forever. Um, hopefully, we find the best things about the online process only to keep. But what that weeding out process is going to look like and how long it takes, it makes me a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. It's good for meetings. It's good for... Um, um, like administrative work, I think, but I, I just, I hate it as a medium. Mm. Theater is, to me, theater has to be in the room. I don't want to, I want to watch TV. I want to watch a film and I want to watch theater. I really, I'm so old, but I just don't want to watch theater on Zoom anymore. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone liked Zoom theater in particular. I think pro shots are a little bit different. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're the national and you're doing brilliant work and showing it on, uh, you know, on the big screen or, or no, the small screen national theater at home, uh, you know, that's gorgeous. Right. But it's not right. theater made for Zoom. It's, it's, it's theater captured. Um, but, but the theater that's made for Zoom is, is not for me. It's for some people, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. May, you know, there was the big question throughout the pandemic of what is theater? And, uh, you know, the question we've been asking for millennia at this point. I don't know that we have more of an answer now. I think we've muddied the waters. Sure. Well, know. and then from, you know, uh, um marketing or and financial point of view of running a theater company in the pandemic you have to um <laughs> you have to uh i don't want to say lie about what theater is right but you have to figure out how to keep yourself uh current or keep yourself <clears throat> in people's minds that was a crazy you know that that first year was everybody just trying to be relevant in some way and trying to stay afloat? Yeah, and prove and and saying we can still tell stories on screen. Um, and I am proud of the work that we did. We did a lot of digital stuff, but then we also were the first company in town to go back to in person because I just you know like had had to get people. I I just I guess I I, I guess I like people. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Chris? Those of you, for those of you who don't know, I don't usually say that. It's true, he doesn't. I knew there was a soft core in there somewhere. It's somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess I like the human connection, believe it or not. <laughs> and I do. I do believe it of you. <laughs> um, so before we, we dive into our topic today, uh, which is uh, ab about directing a new musical for its world premiere we'll we'll get there in a little bit but uh since this is for mostly musical theater writers and our collaborators we've got some musical theater uh based questions for you today don't you worry it's not a quiz okay. i saw your face there's no quizzing here okay. <laughs> none none whatsoever just some some things about you i for the audience to get to know you a little bit because i know you but they want to know you 
Great. I keep watching the video, so I hope so. Um, so I'm curious to know if there is any musical, th and th you can answer this as an artistic director, director, performer, however you choose to. Is there a musical theater writer who their work you gravitate toward the most or the quickest? Come on. Hey, not everyone says the same thing. I have to, I do. And I, I, I feel like, I mean, I, I, I do. I just, well, I guess there's a, I mean, there's a couple, right. But like, yeah, I mean, I just think it's, it's that, Michael Raddy. Yes. Thank you. I think that Michael Raddy is a genius and that there's nobody else to listen to. That's a perfect um, quote. Thank you. So um, you know, I really, I, I have always just loved Sondheim and, and think that the, um, the investigative work that he does about humanity is really exciting and interesting and done in a way I was I was thinking about him uh and the his work in terms of like being new plays right because so alleyway does new plays and so I I just new plays are always on my mind but he and how we are trying to get our audience to jump with us without a net right and so then I saw that he was uh, he did the um, Jim Lipton interview inside the actor's studio, right? And his favorite word and least favorite word. So Steve's least favorite word is celery, but his favorite, <laughs> but his favorite word is pioneer. Mm. And so to think of him as a pioneer and to think of him pioneering new work, um, which we don't think of his work as new, we think of it as old hat and the canon of musical theater, right? That this is. But when it came out, it was new mm -hmm. and it was incredibly inventive and incredibly surprising and incredibly um, um, investigative about about life. And so, yeah, I really I, I do like his stuff. I'm also sort of on a Michael John Lacusa kick. And I think mm. that um, the melodies that he writes are uh, are great. I love this. I love his musicality. Yeah. Stunning material. Yeah. You really challenging material. Yes. <laughs> um, really challenging. But then that, like Steve, right? But then out of that, in, in the mix of the crazy, for lack of a better word, you know, then you have that beautiful soaring sound or that beautiful yeah. soaring idea that comes out that, that just sort of like makes your... Uh, whatever this is where your eyes like water you know i don't understand that what that is but it happens Never heard of it. yeah 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 absolutely i really also like your point about sondheim as a new writer i think i was a little bit um unique in in my introduction to sondheim in college because a lot of my professors still had the old mindset of sondheim is uh someone whose work is just it's offbeat it's weird it's um it's new it's not doing what everyone else is doing it's too hard to play like all those sort of older ideas of when that were very pervasive when his first shows were coming out and i think we have forgotten that collectively now because we're like oh right sondheim that's mm -hmm. so well established we all know this music we know these shows 
What's and but then my question with that is like, so were they saying it's weird and different in a bad way or weird and different in a good way? I'd say two thirds of them in a bad way. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. Again, coming at it from a new play angle, that's the problem that we get. And to me, it's about audience, right? the The audiences don't want to take the risk. They don't. They want to feel safe. They want to go see the Gershwin show in town. They want to go see the Rogers and Hammerstein show because they trust it and they know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true of like, not just like the, you know, the, the blue hairs, right. It's not just true of the aging audience. I think that it's true of the, of our generation and, and the, and, and younger than us, right. That, that people are scared of, new things and thank god we have somebody some of these writers who are willing to take the risk and uh and producers who are willing to take the risk and put that work up that's it right like writers uh, you know you're you need somebody to jump with you yes please (laughs) right yeah (laughs) which is why someone like you is so important um obviously as as a director with me and again we'll get there but also like i mean you are the the executive artistic director of a theater that focuses on doing new work like that you are like the godsend you are the rare unicorn because you are willing to do that and uh i'm we're, i'm glad that you have audience who's willing to go along though i'm sure that that's a probably a constant struggle for you <laughs> going through the process of of creating these seasons and bringing people in I think uh, yes, a hundred percent. And but it's also a. Um, uh, I feel safe in a way um, because, in terms of the content of what we are putting together as a season. So because there's a risk inherent in doing new plays, meaning audience right and box office sales. Um, because that risk exists, I don't have to worry about the risk of a show's content because the risk is going to be there, uh, no matter the play, no matter the, what show we're putting in our season. And that's exciting to me, I think, because, because then I can take, because then I can take a chance on something that, uh, you know, if you only have a slot in your season for one new play, you're going to try to still do something milquetoast, right? That that makes people um, feel safe in a way. But I'm okay. Let's do this. Let's take a jump. Let's do. I gotta keep talking about jumping. Um, but, <laughs> but do it right and and take take the chance on on a story that matters yeah. that I'm interested in that might take the audience to a place that is uh, that they don't necessarily know or understand or that's not in their worldview. Um, but the risk is always there because it's a new play. They haven't heard of it. They're just, they're, you know, uh, so that's kind of, that's exciting to me in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this might be a slight leap here because obviously it's a very different form of, producing but i think the basic idea holds it it it, what you're doing reminds me a lot of like um a hal prince who was 
always doing new work, always doing things that had a risk attached. And obviously on a big scale, and most of it seemed to pay off quite well for him. But, you know, now we are in the age where uh, commercial producers and even some of the nonprofit production companies, you know, are, are trying to balance that of what can we bring that is safe in order to get X, Y, or Z monetarily? And then where can we take those risks? And it does almost kind of model that uh, smaller theater creating a season feel where it's like, where can I take my risks instead of that idea of, well, everything's a risk. So mm -hmm. cool. Let's make some art. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean the, the Hal Prince com uh, commercial model is very different than what we do as a nonprofit, right? That's a three quarters of a million dollar budget, right? I mean, we we're a very small scale, but, um, Oh, what was I just going to say about that, Michael? Oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, um, so I said all of that, right? But we still do a Christmas Carol, right? <laughs> because then for that reason, because then we have Christmas Carol and we have shows that are built into the season that that are the, the thing that keeps us going, that we're able to, uh, it, knowing that we're going to take a hit at the box office on a new play. Mm -hmm. Christmas Carol supports the the rest of the the rest of the season okay. when so. art meets commerce crazy things happen yep and it and that's truly what it is and it's interesting for me to be on this side of the table now for three years and know that um that it's a business and that it's truly about business and that it's uh it's frustrating in a lot of ways that it can't just be about the art and we can't just do, I can't just do your play because I love it. I have to figure out, does it fit in the season? Do, does the show after it have a larger cast or are we flying in people from out of town that I have to put them up? And so that budget, that money has to go there and I have to not do your play because it's, it's just all for hundreds of reasons that have zero to do with you, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, so important for writers to keep in mind. I mean, boy, does it often feel like shouting into the void with your work and hearing nothing back. And, you know, just like we say to actors all the time, 95% of the time it has nothing to do with you or your work. Because at a certain level, we expect that everybody is going to be excellent at what they do, right? So I'm expecting that if you, that that if your show is recommended to me and it's submitted to me or or however I get it, right? At a certain level, I'm assuming that this is gonna be good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then how, so now I have a, a stack of five shows, right? That are good. Well, I have four shows in a season, you know? And mm -hmm. one of them is already the, our, our, new play award winner that we will do. And one of them is going to be from this thing. And one of them is going to be from that. That leaves one slot left. It's, it's so, it's so interesting. The puzzle is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And fun. It's really fun and exciting, but I, I'm uh, being on the other side. Um, I don't envy you. Thanks. Cause that's I also got don't envy you. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> like, but we will not hard. we will not freaky friday and we will stay we are there. <laughs> but like having to make those decisions yeah. <clears throat> would give me such anxiety like uh, and heartburn and sleeplessness and <laughs> what else do you want <laughs> so okay <laughs> but you know i mean i i think that will also be a, a Part of the conversation moving forward today that whole art versus commerce thing and how they uh, interact so well we, we won't drill we won't uh, dwell not drill too much more on it at this moment but i think it's probably going to come back up as we move forward but i'd like to move to my next question which again can be part of any of your work um i'm curious to know from you uh is there something you can pinpoint as uh, your biggest challenge so far in your artistic career? But then the flip side of that, perhaps your greatest success. Chris does not know these questions ahead of time. And I, uh, I let him know that I would take care of him with these questions, but his face makes me think I'm mis misdirected. Oh, you stumped me. This is like a job interview now. Oh, no. Um, it, or it's like the question of what's your favorite musical? Oh, yeah, it's a mean question. What, which is a horrible question. What, uh, I mean, a challenge or success? It doesn't oh. have to be the biggest. It can just be a <laughs> challenge that comes to your brain. Um... Can I talk? Well, here's the thing that's in my head. It's a challenge that I have, that I, so stage fright. Same was Stage fright. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just challenge. Um, uh, like, bad. Like, stage fright. I had, I, for a long time, had terrible, terrible stage fright. Really? Uh, crippling. Um, really bad. Like, oh God, I can't go on with the show and I'm going to fuck it up and I'm going to uh, not, it's going to be bad. And and I think that, I think that I succeeded in sort of figuring out what that was about, um, which was going to grad school and learning um, that I had not really known how to be an actor until that point um i was very good at faking it um faking connection on stage faking um uh uh second circle connection second circle do you know the, do you know second circle patsy rodenberg i i do but can you expand for our audience yeah so patsy rodenberg okay so there's cicely berry right voice teacher um, and then there's Kristen Linklater and uh, and Patsy. So that's the that's your triangle of stage voice teachers. So Patsy's uh, book on the second circle is um, about connecting on stage mm -hmm. um, or in life. I don't do it in life, but I now I'm able to understand how to do it on stage. Right. So first circle is. Um, uh, it, this is very dumbed down, right? But it's being introverted. It's being uh, taking in information and not giving it out. Mm. Um, uh, only listening and never sharing, never being mm. able to share your own self. 
Third circle is the opposite. It's being an asshole, basically, right? That that it's chest out and and I'm here at the party and I want to talk to you, Michael. I'm talking to you and I'm so, Michael, what is going on with you, right? Michael, I'm so interested in what you're doing. And I'm looking at somebody else at the party and always wanting to be somewhere else and only giving off and never sharing, never, never listening. Second circle is a two-way street where I'm where I'm communicating with somebody. So I really um uh, started to understand that in grad school and started to understand that my fear was about um me uh not knowing what to do or or trying to figure out what I needed to do on stage. Mm. Um, instead what I finally learned is that it has nothing to do with me and I need to only worry about what I'm there for, which is to talk to somebody else, which is to get something from somebody else, which is to, to play an action and, and try to change the other person that I'm talking to. Um, so once I sort of understood that, um, I think I became a better actor and uh, also stage fright went away, right? Because stage fright is when you have the void of, nothing to do um and not knowing what to do and so going on stage like it was worse i mean you know early summer stock i was playing <laughs> coach bolton in high school musical with, with like three lines right and it was the worst there because i would sit in the dressing room and just have to wait to go on and so my brain had time to stress out and freak out um so if you fill your head with an objective with something to do then then the void is gone and then the the little fucker on your shoulder doesn't show up so much wow um but i'm doing a show in the spring and i have not done anything since december of 2019 as an actor mm. and so it's coming back like i'm having i'm like oh god am i going to am i going to be able to do this play i'm i don't know i hope so so thank you for reminding letting me talk through that and yes i will be able to do the play but that's a challenge and a and a some and a success of overcoming it, maybe. Yeah, that's a great one. That yeah. because also as you said, that's the idea of second circle is more than just for stage, it is also for life, absolutely. And there's there's a lot that I mean, even as a writer, um, sitting alone in a place writing things out is useful to create characters and interactions that feel real like there's a lot that's very applicable here in a lot of wonderful ways so thank you for talking through that sure. so does that mean then christopher that when i met you you were in a moment of stage fright oh sure really yeah can i reflect something to you from my experience yeah um one of the reasons that I was so taken with you when I met you was because that was not my experience with you on stage. Um, so this was lame as I was playing Marius and Chris was playing Tenardier. And so we don't interact a ton in that show at all. But I got to watch Chris act. And you just seemed so generous and present the whole time in a way that was electric. I think it was the wig. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, but like, that was a learning moment for me. You were someone I looked at and said, I need to step up my game. Mm. I need to be more grounded. I need to be here. Mm. So that's very interesting for me to hear. 
Well, we're all on our we're all on a different point in the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. In the line of where we are on our life journey. Yeah. Right? So, um, for I mean, I think that we can all at any stage have any of those feelings and and still be striving to uh, striving for perfection, mm, right? Wishing that wishing that we were perfect. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was wonderful. That was a wonderful answer. Sure. It was good. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I love these chats. These are my favorite. They're so fun. Um, okay. Um, is there something? I, I'm going to specify this a bit more uh, to either something you've produced or directed that um, gives you an immense sense of pride for having been a part of its creation process. The King's legacy. Oh, get out of here. You can't throw my show in for funsies. <laughs> I, I shall. Um, I mean, I loved doing the King's legacy. Although I did this high school production, I directed a high school production of uh, Sarah Rule's Eurydice. Mm. And it just, man, I was so excited about that production. I thought it was good like not even qualifying it for high school. Like they did good work in it. And we challenged, they they were challenged and we challenged each other and the design was exciting. And man, I want to do that play again. I love yeah. that play. Yeah. Wow. Doing a Eurydice, so you said high school? Yeah. Wow. At so, an all boys, uh, uh, Catholic high school, and then the girls come from other uh, schools around. But yeah, that's fascinating. Why mm -hmm. that choice of play? Because uh, I was a, um, I, I, I'm a rule breaker, and they had up until so. A rule breaker. The year before that, we did um, the uh, David Ives adaptation of um, "Is He Dead." Oh, okay. Mark Twain story. And uh, is that right? Yeah, I think it's the Mark Twain story. Um, and uh, and bef so that, those were my two years that I was there. Before that, you know, they're they're just doing, you know, the the standard high school plays. And I, I just felt like, I don't know, let's do something that they can sink their teeth into. I love that. Yeah. Man. Yeah, it was very cool. It was a very fun and fog. You know, I love smoke, and so we we set off the fire alarms and like you um, do. I mean, who hasn't? Yeah, <laughs> our theater now has fire alarms that are um, heat sensors and not smoke sensors. So, fog everywhere. Smoke away. Smoke away. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's I would say a production. But I really, I mean, I I truly was excited about the the. Especially, I think the like working on King's legacy, and for for like <laughs> for a long time, right? And and trying to get it to a place that we felt um, was ready for for a show that was exciting. All right, you brought it up. Let's do it. Let's dive in. Here we are. Here's the thing. So. The King's Legacy, the, the, my Anne Boleyn show, for those of you who are new to me 
and to, to Chris today. Um, I wrote a show about Anne Boleyn and her daughter Queen Elizabeth I. It also touches upon the other wives. It is about uplifting the women's stories. Um, and uh, for the record, it was before six was a thing. And it's... Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, also, it does different work than Six does, like very different shows. Um, but this show uh, had its world premiere in 2019 at the Brisbane Theater in Upstate New York. That's Western New York, Naples, uh, Finger Lakes. Woohoo! And um, so that that's been my artistic home since 2014. And so I was thrilled to have the show have its world premiere there. And Chris was the director for the show. Now, I had known Chris as a performer. I'd shared the stage with you twice by that point. I never remember these things. So, Les Mis. Yeah. And, and then, Drowsy. I don't know if I shared a stage with you in between. Uh, uh, um, uh, the Foreigner. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about 2016 completely. Oh, right. Because mm -hmm. then Peter and the Starcatcher. It was also sure. transition. Uh huh. Yeah, we've done a bunch. We've okay. done. It. So we we had been on stage together a whole bunch. Um, by that point, and <laughs> why? Why are you chuckling? I'm just remembering moments. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've had some good times, and the the year before Kings Legacy ended up world premiering, Chris directed me for the first time in. What's the name of the play? The Spider's Web. Spider's Web, thank you. Um, and I had a very small role in that one, but I was delighted to be in the room with Chris as a director. So when it uh, became true that Chris was going to be directing the world premiere, I was so happy to be able to chat with him through the process of getting the show ready. And boy, was that a process. I'd love to know from you, just like as a starter moment here, what was it like being given a a musical script that is as, um, I was going to say hefty, hefty is not right, uh, as in-depth as The King's Legacy, knowing that that was going to be like a, a thing we're doing at a small summer stock theater? Uh, do you mean in terms of the the content of the show, the the story, or or the think, scope of the play, or the scope of the production? I think I'm talking scope, but scope of I think both the play and the production. I mean, for me, the uh, the the scary part is that I am not a scholar of this story <laughs> you don't know everything so, about tutor women <laughs> and so i am uh this this was a huge challenge right that i um i i man i tried and i dug into it and it's um but i'm not i'm not that and i never pretended to be the person who knew the 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 dramaturgical historical things that were necessary in the story to that so so for me that was the huge challenge to overcome. And I think that that's certainly was the first gut reaction of, Oh God, I don't know this story. Um, can I make sure that I'm doing it justice? Um, and I think, you know, we, 
had some conversations about it and knowing that we had that you certainly know this uh the events of the play in um you know within your fingers and toes and that we had a dramaturgical team on it mm -hmm. that i was then supported in that way and i was able to um really tell the really worry about the the what was there on stage and the people in front of me and the um you know like the like the stuff on the stuff on stage yeah. the <laughs> storytelling of, with what was going to actually physically be there yeah know? yeah and looking at it from that audience point of view right because we always want to be thinking about the person who shows up to the to the play that has never seen it before and knows nothing about it and we have to carry them along mm -hmm. they have to be told that story and so i was able to and i think probably to your um you know making you crazy i think at points was able to say like i don't know what's going on and i'm the audience member who doesn't know what's going on and we have to make sure that i do because otherwise that person's going to be lost. Yeah. Um, so I think that we get, even in, in new plays or in, and when I say new plays, I mean musicals also. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's everything. Um, but uh, in terms of new work or, or published work that we get, we, we forget that people don't necessarily know what we're talking about. Yeah. And so, keeping that eye open to um to carrying that that one audience member along is really important in all ways from the direction of it to the writing of it to the performing of it yeah and that was i think what was the biggest like useful thing that gave me a kick in the ass right from the start was i thought i had said some things enough times and you were like nope i right. did not clock that at all i was like but i said it three times and pointed out and you're like yeah well here we are to the thirds of the way in and you're referencing something that i do not remember at all i'm like okay great so how do we build that in and i think that was a large part of what we talked about in terms of structure and moving things forward playing with things a bit, trying to get the script in a way that it would flow, make storytelling sense, you know, as art, but then also give the audience what it needs. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, between our conversations moving forward, probably the biggest thing we were always talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's what I feel like was my usefulness in our conversations that i'm there as the sounding board to say i don't get it i don't know what's happening this is unclear where is it unclear to me mm -hmm. my job is not to write the play you're you know i'm not there to or rewrite it or or change or come up with the ideas of how to shift it necessarily right i'm just there to 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 be to poke holes yeah. and say here's the thing that i don't know here's what's not happening um, and I don't necessarily have, you know, know the answers to it. Mm -hmm. um, but as that, through the lens of that audience member, here's the thing that's not clear. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And this is one of the reasons I wish every writer had a, like, collaborative director, collaborative dramaturg who was there with them 
when the piece is ready for readings and things to do that work. Um, Because I think that that is one of the most useful things you can possibly give to a writer is, hey, here's where things are great, but here's where I'm not tracking. Like, I'm not going to give you the answers to that because I don't have the answers, but do you have thoughts? Do you have answers as the writer? Is there something you can bring to it? And sometimes you'll have a dramaturg who does have those answers, right? Who is somebody really trained in that. I am not that person. I'm not that dramaturg to to do that. And um, and so that's why having a support team, theater is nothing if not a collaboration and doing it at home by ourselves is not, um, is not going to give us the good, great work. Right. It'll be okay. Maybe, hopefully right yeah but listen take get get as much from trusted sources yes right not from the people who don't know things but from your trusted sources from you know get get support get feedback Mm -hmm. yes and i want to speak to that for a second because so far chris and i have talked about that and kind of tossed it off as though it were easy it's not an easy conversation to have from either side. Um, <laughs> he's chuckling because there were some moments where it was a very difficult conversation to have. And I think there were a couple times where our, our communication styles broke down a little bit to the point of like we talked. And then I, I distinctly remember there was, mo- okay, so Chris and I met at a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Around Christmas, before no, it was a Tim Hortons. Let's be real. That's right. It was oh, because upstate New York. Yeah, there we are. Yeah, in um, a snowstorm. In a snowstorm, just after Christmas, 2018. Oh my goodness! And we sat down for the first time in person to talk through the script, and it was a good conversation. But you know, as a writer, it is tough to hear these things. It, no matter how well delivered it is to hear this isn't working is hard, especially when you've been working on something for a very long time. And come 2018, and I it had been six years since I had started this script the first time. Um, obviously not this draft, but like that it was still hard to hear like, oh, okay, so that's not working. But I distinctly remember, and I think I called you with like this huzzah joy in my voice because I had figured out something that you had been trying to say to me that day in Tim Hortons and it had eluded me. I didn't know what you were saying. I didn't know what you were meaning. I didn't know where to go. And I wish I could remember exactly what it was, but I was like, that's what you meant. And you were like, yeah, didn't I say that? (laughs) Like, you probably did. I just, that's not what I heard. Sure, That's that's a, yes. Hearing some somebody saying something and somebody hearing something different is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Making and figuring out how to um, how to read the person that you're sh- that you're having this conversation with. It's a it's a date, right? It's no, it's just knowing how to talk to somebody in general, right? And and being able to to have that conversation, but then trust, I think, is really big. And uh, you know, I'm I was scared to have that conversation. I was scared um, yeah, when we met at the TikTok diner also. And I remember that one. And I feel like um, I had things that I, that I really deeply felt I needed to, to share that information with you. 
but this is your baby, yeah. right? And so, and so who am I to tell you that something's wrong? So the, I think learning for, for me, right? Learning to couch it in like, here's, here's, here's something, take it or throw it away. This is my, this is what I'm getting. It's not personal. It, it can't be personal. It's only about the work. Yeah. And it, the goal is only to make it a stronger story. Um, but no, it's not easy on either side. And, and sharing that and saying like, this, this doesn't work is hard. Is. And also not making sure, right. That because my, my, I didn't write the play. So my job is not to say, actually, you should do this. Right. Right. That's, that's, I think, a bad relationship. If, if, if your collaborator is telling you, you go do this instead. Mm-hmm. Well, no, then dear collaborator, why don't you go write that play? You know, <laughs> uh, but, but to just poke holes at what's already there or to be a, 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 as objective as possible in your observation of it is, is the goal yeah 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 now uh, hmm. i want to say there's a couple things about this that's going to lead to a question um because first and foremost i think it was very helpful that we had known each other as artists and that i had already worked with you in a directorial capacity i think that was very very useful as a foundation to have that trust established no matter how nervous the two of us were going into these conversations especially those in person ones <laughs> um but also i think that being able to walk into that conversation no matter who it's with in a way that is open to hearing thoughts that aren't going to be um, things that you take in and like and enjoy is that's a practiced skill as a very practiced skill. And I don't think that we give that skill to people enough, uh, cause that's tough too. And also like, sometimes there were questions you had and I provided answers that you weren't sure about. And then I watched you decide whether or not to trust my instinct on that moment or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did go both ways, but I do want to be very, very clear that you always made me feel comfortable, safe, and heard. And that is the biggest gift. Would you have any advice for directors who work with writers in a way that they could help do that? Yeah, just, I mean, it's, well, let's go back to the circles, right? Don't be third circle. Don't be the mm-hmm. asshole who's only there to, to prove something. Put, you aren't, it's just, a, it's just, it, it's, um, it's not feeling that you have all the answers and that you have to be right. Don't feel like you have to prove something. Question, 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 and surround yourself. It's what I try to do, you know, at, always is just surround myself with people who have other ideas and who are smarter than me. I'm not the guru who knows everything. You might have, I have this question for you. Truly ask it as a question. Be willing to listen to the response. Um, Have a conversation about it, but it's just, I think it's, um, I don't know, how do do we teach people to not be assholes, right? Um, But part of it too is not, you know, uh, 
probably there are many people who go into that not thinking that they are being an asshole and thinking that I'm here to, well, here's the right way to do it. I know this because I, whatever, I, I, I truly know that this is the way to solve your problem. You are there as the collaborator to, well, so in this process, right? I think this is pre-production, right? Yes. I'm here to to be the sounding board. Mm-hmm. Then I think it's very different once we go into rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a different process. But at this point, I'm just here to throw some ideas up and mm-hmm. be the other brain that's that's kicking around images in my head of what I how I think it's going to look on stage and how we're going to stage it and where is the what's the light going to do and you know, how's the, how fast is the revolve going to move at this point? And where's the band going to go? And so that's where my mind is going. Right. And maybe your mind isn't going there. So then that's where we can start collaborating before we get to rehearsal um, to try to solve some of those problems in advance. But no, it's just, it's, it's listening. You have to listen and, and second circle, be vulnerable, be open to conversation. Yeah. That's great advice, absolutely. Um, and I want to move into the rehearsal conversation in one second. Uh, two other things I want to say that are uh, about this. Um, you you clued me in. I kind of already said this about the the like pulling that one audience member through the show, but uh, it's more than that. Uh, you clued me into really taking stock of how an audience whether that be someone reading the show or someone watching the show, was responding to any given moment in a show. So much so that um, I, had a, I remember having a conversation with you after the world premiere, where I said, these two things did not land the way they were supposed to, and I see why, and I'd like to cut and or change them. And then I got resistance from you in your immediate reaction of, oh, but the audience seemed to like those moments. I was like, yes, they did. They liked those moments for the exact wrong reasons. And I had the privilege of being able to watch that happen and to hear people's responses after the shows and things and be like, oh, great. Now I know what to do. Hmm. Um, So thank you for that gift. Well, isn't that like, (coughs) that's the importance of previews. Yes. (laughs) Because, and this is something that I'm really interested in right now, right? And and have been talking and we're putting it in all of our marketing this season because it's huge on my mind that the audience is the final collaborator. The audience is the important ingredient and and, uh, that we often forget about or that they don't realize that they are. Mm -hmm. So having that opportunity to have your work through the rehearsal process and then get it in front of somebody and see where they fall asleep, see where they start fidgeting, see where they get excited, see where they 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 stand up, you know. That's that's the reason to sit in the back and don't watch the play during previews, watch the audience. You have to see what their reactions are. Yeah. As yeah. a writer, I learned so much about my work having an audience there. Yeah. Not yeah. only those couple of spots, like for for instance, any of you who saw King's Legacy, the video or or in person, there there used to be a, a number in which the uh, two two people, my in this production myself and our uh good friend Mark Poppleton, shout out Mark Poppleton, um, 
we're each playing two characters having a conversation with Henry and doing this like swapping of clothing and it became a whole stage business thing. Um, and the audience was delighted because of Chris's beautiful stage work. Like what he gave us, what the customer gave us, it was great. And the audience had so much fun, but it was wrong. It was the wrong moment. It's not what we needed. We needed more about the romantic storyline at that moment, not silliness, because we had more silliness about to happen. It's mm -hmm. like, mm. I learned a lot there, but also uh, the song, A Queen of England, which I've been using for years as like one of those, those standard bops, that people really like to listen to and enjoy. It's a strong female quartet um, of these queens and uh, always gathers a lot of big applause whenever it's played live, blah, blah, blah. Having this in context, finally, and having that moment come about and the song end to stillness and silence told me so much about how effective the work leading up to and through that song actually was. It was when I first really re realized that leading up to Anne's death worked in the show. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't have known that without an actual audience to see the thing. Mm -hmm. Like that was a profound lesson for me as a writer. Mm -hmm. And what I take from what you just said, what clicked for me is the the dominoes, right? That go backwards. So as you look at that moment, the the if there's a great book called Backwards and Forwards, I forget the I don't remember who wrote it, but it's a great book about uh, play um, analysis. Um, but it's just talking about how every single thing comes from the end, right? And you can't have that last moment until you have the moment before, until you have the moment before, until you have the moment before. And if we we get stuck in a in a um, uh, in assuming too much information, mm. right? That we think we 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 think the audience is with us. We think we've given them that information. We think something is clear, but really, what you're talking about is seeing all of those dominoes did line up, yeah, and and made sense to make that last one fall. And if and if that last one doesn't fall, well, it means that something before it isn't there yeah yeah and you could feel that in the world premiere even you could feel the sections of the show i was like oh we shouldn't touch that because this as a cohesive amount of there's like the last uh 20 minutes of act one i was like oh my god it works and it works really well mm -hmm. like that was a surprise to me lovely to find out but you can you can feel from the audience's energy where it works. Mm -hmm. And then also like, we're done. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so this this needs some shooting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the that's what's so exciting. That's what I love about it. Yeah. yeah. All right, we have to dive into the rehearsal room. Mm -hmm. Okay, so <clears throat> directing a musicale mm -hmm. in its world premiere. Mm -hmm. um, especially something that is as large as this one. And let's be real, you put together a phenomenal team. Like the team was so good. Um, between having the writer in the room, an actual dramaturg in the room, and then our costume designer who also serves as a dramaturg in the room, like just having that there was such a phenomenal foundation. But then all of our designers were just, oh my God, like the best of the best. Um, and you, 
I love that you, as soon as they were there, you wanted to bring them into the rehearsal room too. Yeah. You, the atmosphere. Oh, talk to me about this process. I just love smart people. Mm. This is what I keep, this is what I've said it a couple of times. And I think it's so, so valuable. I don't have all the answers and I, and other people do. And my job as the director is to, to listen and then decide which, where we're going to go with it. Right. But um the, the the team was the team is incredible and um to always have a team like that is a, would be a dream right um to have designers who are at the top of their game truly at the top of their game um who care about story mm. who ask questions who don't just you know, and and I, it's uh, Mary Ellen Stebbins is a genius, and um, lighting designer, lighting designer, and does not just light a show. Right, the story that she tells is so intertwined with the story that of the play and the story that we are all telling, and so many moments i think became crystallized or clearer because of questions that she asked and so i i working with with designers and, and again it's about having a relationship i think or having a trust that you can share that that you can have that conversation and so i always want to work with people in the room who are willing to ask those questions even though i'm the yeah i'm okay my name is the director but i'm i'm just the person who's like filtering the information I truly believe that. And, and, um, or like I teach a directing class. And so I talk about this, right. That the, I think we have to be prepared with, I don't think we have to be prepared. You have to be prepared with tons of information. Right. And then be willing to throw it all away when somebody comes in and does something else that says, Oh, actually, nope, that's the way that that should happen. Um, so the work of preparing is excellent. And then to have people come in and question and say, is that really, what do you mean here? Is that really the point of the story? Is this the focus? Do we want to see this moment happening? What's going on upstage? Why is the scene so far upstage? You know, do you, do you have any specific examples? Um, it's okay if you don't, I'm just very curious. Um, I think it was something I'm trying to think. There was something that Mary Ellen, we, we were talking about the, was it the King's Legacy song? Um, it was about the lanterns that were like flickering simultaneously with yep. the choreography. And it was just something, I mean, this was a silly moment, right? This wasn't about specific deep storytelling. It was just how do we... I think I wanted, you know, I always want more, more is more. And like um, our friend Tim McMath says, more is more. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I wanted more flickering or something. And she was like, Chris, you have to just, we can't. We're, what story are we telling here? Are we telling a story about these flickering lights or, you know, are we distracting? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, something like that is one of them. But it's it's a good question to ask. Like, what is the point? Um, what is the story we're telling? Because 
even as writers, we have to to sometimes have someone ask us that that question about a moment or a scene. Like you may love a moment, you may adore a moment you've written, and this goes to that idea of killing your darlings, right? But when the director asks you, "But is that the story we're telling?" and you know in your heart that the answer is no, that tells you something about what should happen with that moment, how it might need to be cut or changed, no matter how much you love it. What's that line of dialogue that Anne and Henry have at the top of the, they were at the top of the bridge, and I wanted you to cut it, and we, and you did finally agree to cut it, but we fought about it. Um, it was it, that, that I, I felt like we were overtelling the story with her line, and that it could be told with just her facial expression. It was about um, it was about the the archery or something. Yeah, it was. <clears throat> I don't remember what the line was, but I will tell you, audience. Chris was right to the point that I wrote it into the script afterwards <laughs> directly. Mm. That it was just a change of facial expression. Yeah, yeah, and so much right. Where's the white space? So much of writing, I, I don't know, I'm not a writer, but I believe in, in so much of storytelling is about the silences. I love a silence. I love it. I want them to go on forever. Take the moment. And we can do so much without saying it. And then it becomes more exciting, I think. Or, or, or it can become more real, right? That... Uh, yeah, instead of instead of over overwriting. Yeah. And and that conversation that we had where you did so lovingly remind me of what can be accomplished without saying anything prompted me to write a silent sequence um, that was just underscored with music. Uh, it's right after the song Patience, after the big blow up when uh, and in in stage movement only has to make a decision of how she's going to handle Henry in this moment where he is just thrown out two people, including his wife, something that is just like not done at all, right? The breaking point moment, how she's going to handle him is going to change everything moving forward, right? And so there's no dialogue. It's completely movement with some music underneath. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I would have written that, which, and it works beautifully in that sequence. Uh, I, I wouldn't have written that had we not had that conversation. Mm -hmm. And this is the other part of, of the audience, right? We want to carry them along, yeah. but we also have to trust that they're very smart and that they will get it and that you don't have to, you have to support them, but you don't have to hold their hand, right? Don't carry them on, a, don't, don't walk them along with a leash, right? Um, trust that they are smart that they will get it and that they probably will be way ahead of you mm -hmm. i won't i never know who does it i never know who the murderer is in any story that i'm watching i'm always shocked but most people think it think are are, are, are able to guess what's going to happen yeah yeah <laughs> so if you know that don't leave them waiting Mm -hmm. right? like if there's a moment where you see the audience is like oh yeah we know what's going to happen well then let's move it along because they're right. already, they're already there right. so you don't need to have that four page scene it can be four four lines right absolutely 
And also, by the way, y'all, I hope you're taking notes because the amount of gold that's coming out of Chris Hanley's mouth today is sizable. But also, like, that was something we talked about, too, was because there were things that you were like, this could be tightened, this could be tightened, this could be tightened. I was like, yeah, could be. I mean, I don't know that's necessary. And then you reminded me that we say up front in the show, in case people don't know the history, we say up front. This show is about Anne and dies. So that's not a mystery anymore, right? So then how does that change the pacing of the show? Because the audience already knows this going in. Mm-hmm. And that was big for, for my rear. It's in act two. I cut a crap ton out of act two. Act two short. Mm-hmm. It's like what? It ran, I think, 40 minutes and we took our time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, That so that's a beautiful thing to, to bear in mind as a writer. Yeah, seriously, the nuggets out of your mouth. How do you how do you deal, or how did you deal, or how would you deal? I don't know. Uh, as a director in the room, in the rehearsal room, with performers on a brand new piece, especially because like we did this in a summer stock setting, so that was short. I mean, I don't think it's any different than any than working on any other piece. There's no di- there's no difference except. Yeah, there's not even, no, there's no difference. You investigate the work, you do the play. You you talk about the play in with what's there on the page. If there are questions, we investigate it based on the page. And then sure, maybe I go to you and say, hey, this is a weird thing that we're having some questions about, but don't let don't let questions that you have um don't let regular rehearsal room questions influence me to go then to the writer and say, you need to change something. Mm-hmm. Those, those are regular questions that we have in every play. And again, it's about overwriting. <laughs> what am I trying to say? There will be questions. There will be things that the actors don't know. And that what that we have a conversation about, like we will with any play. Don't be don't be so influenced that you then have to go and, and ask for more for rewrites on it. Uh-huh. Try to discover it yourself. So in that way, it's it's exactly the same as any play. I love that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have done all of that work in the pre-production. Right. Between you and me, right? Like we have already had those conversations. So once you're in rehearsal, especially in a 10-day, you know, <laughs> summer stock setting, right? We're not rewriting the play. We're not giving lots of new pages at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one other major question I'd like to ask today, because I think people will be interested to take this back around to art and commerce and how they work together. Um, so we were under the uh, constraints of a small summer stock theater in upstate New York with a budget that is only X, which means our show budget is only X. <laughs> well, X minus a bunch. Um, and then... <laughs> How did that influence and interplay with how you as the director worked on the piece? 
Um, it's just the realities of the situation. You know, we, I think we always have the conversation of, well, in the million dollar or in the $10 million or, or whatever the numbers are, production, um, nobody has to carry the throne, <laughs> right? Nobody has to turn this bed around on stage. The actors don't have to, the stagehands don't have to because it's gonna come in on a lift or it's gonna rotate in or it's gonna fly in or whatever, all those things. So of course. that's just the challenge, I think. Um, knowing, I think on the new play, right? It's knowing in the back of my head, again, don't change it here because don't change the writing of it for the smaller production. Know in the back of my head that, okay, when we do this in a major commercial production and have lots of money, this is what can happen in this moment. And then get creative like you do always when working at a smaller company, right? How do we make that big flashy moment work without the technology, without, without all the automation and, and technology that big budgets have? Mm -hmm. Is there a different way that you, like what's that process like for you as a director? Do you approach that um, in a more script forward way? or because oh. i i'm curious I, I know what everything looked like in our final version like y'all i will tell you i'm amazed at the how incredible this production looked and sounded knowing what the budget was <laughs> like what was pulled off was amazing truly amazing that, that's your design team right that's having great people who are creative with with dollars and know and have experience in um, in being able to work and create magic on a small budget, on a couple of thousand dollars, you know? Um, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it changes based on, that it's, more, that it's more about the script or not. I would hope that it's always about the script and that it's always about the story and that, I still think, you know, like in the in the big budget production, I still think that it's a courtyard, right? With a second that with this second level balcony thing, maybe there's maybe it's bigger, maybe there's it's more and there's more spaces, but I still think that that that's the that's the place where this play happens, mm -hmm. uh, at least it for me. Um, so no, I don't think that it. I don't think it changes. Yeah. Let's, I was very curious what your thoughts on that were, and I'm mm -hmm. sure other people would be too. I've, uh, I'm sure between the two of us, we've seen a lot of new work, and sometimes you can tell when budget was the main thought, and other times when, you know, the storytelling was pushed to the side, or... Well, I mean, in terms of that, I guess my my focus as a producer of new work is that my job is to give the playwright the production that they see in their head and that I'm able to fund it in a way that we're not um, cutting corners, mm -hmm. um, that we're not, um, that we are fully realizing the picture as best as possible on the budget we have. But I don't want to produce a new play that like a, like a, <clears throat> like a living room drama, right? That has a kitchen and a living room. I don't, on stage, I don't want to do that play 
without a kitchen and a, without a refrigerator on stage. You know, right. yeah, we have we have to put the refrigerator on stage. It can't just be an acting cube, right. um, because then for that first production, it's so important that you see it as developed as possible, as realized as possible, because otherwise you're still not you, you still have tons of questions. Mm. You know, like the design of it is part of that first production. It has to be doing it in a in a room with just black curtains i think is a reading yeah or it's a workshop you know it's not that's not a i think i think it's not a production in that way i would agree with you yeah, yeah. Oh, such smart answers chris it's just the things rattling in my head well they're good things <laughs> I, I can tell you from experience they're good things all right what I'm here for. Some finisher questions to, to bring us out for today. You okay, ready? good. All right. So what's your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with theater whatsoever? Um, like a hobby or something. I don't know. Like a hobby? It doesn't have to be a hobby. Just Does anybody have hobbies? Do people in the theater have hobbies? Yeah. It's um, I really love to... <laughs> Um, I love to rewatch The West Wing, um, oh. and uh, I'm on. I, I'm I'm finishing my fourth go at that, um, and I like to swim. You like to swim? I didn't know that. Yep. No way. Yep. I love that. Great. Yeah. See, those are not theater. Yeah. <laughs> well, The West Wing is a little bit theater, but that's for another day. Um, oh yeah, there's a that's a good to topic. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back. Um, is there a... I, and I'm sure the answer is yes, but is there a story somewhere in you or in your sphere or that you've encountered that you haven't been able to tell yet that you would really like to on the stage? Whether that be as a producer, uh, an actor, a director. Um, you mean something... Uh, sure. Um, yeah, I have this crazy project that's that's rattling around um, that is that came about through the pandemic, and um, I desperately want to do it. I think it's a. I think I. I it's it's about it's a new way of producing new work, right? And so it's how do we take this 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 play that is not written? It's a nugget of an idea. Um, but how, but it's not necessarily a play on the stage. And there's a way of how do we tell this story um, in an in a sort of uh, other other way. I can't give I can't talk about it because I can't okay. give it away. But yes, there's something uh, that I really God, I just hope that we can do. But it it does require funding because it won't be realized unless we have the dollars behind it. Um, and I'm not going to do it without it. So it's it's going to sit on that burner for a while until we can find the right people who will support it. Oof. You know, your excitement alone was worth that question. Um, <laughs> even though that's such a tease that I can't wait to eventually have a drink with you and have you tell me about this when you have more of a, a thing to, to latch on to to speak about it. But yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be cool. It's going to change. It's going to change the shape of the American theater. Hey, 
I love it. That's great. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's change the shape. Great. Um, wonderful. And and uh, you know, speaking of, of creating more development opportunities, hopefully we'll see your face around the collective at some point in life to pop in and listen to something or give some feedback or just like say hi. Yes. Um, but one more, one more question. And that is, is there something that you love or are proud of that you don't get to talk about often? These, these are the questions that are so challenging for me because they're, because what, what I mean, I find, I find that second circle on stage. I find that vulnerability on stage. And then in life, no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about me. I'll talk about the work all day. Um, a perfect answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris Hadley, you are an absolute delight and a wonder. Um, I will say there there is something that I said you should mention at some point today that you have not yet mentioned. Uh, you mean that little thing called National Public Radio? That there is a little thing called the NPR. I've heard of it before. So we did. Um, so at the Alleyway, our first production this season is the National New Play Network rolling world premiere of the Magnolia Ballet by Terry Guest. And um, Terry received the David Goldman Fund for New American Plays Award this week, um, which David Goldman is the founder of NNPN and selects one rolling world premiere um, uh, each, each season to present this award. So Terry won the award and was in town to accept it. And uh, the, uh, NPR right now is doing a series, a six part series called The Next Stage. And 10 years ago, they did this and they did a series about American regional theater. Mm. Um, and they're they're doing the series now about where are we today. And um, and they've chosen a couple of six different places to head. And one of them was Buffalo and uh, the Alleyway Theater. And there we are. Uh, it'll be on October 12th on Morning Edition. Ooh, okay. And uh, we're just talking about new, the state of new plays in the American regional theater right now and what that means and the, the joys and the challenges. Hmm. That's amazing and wonderful. I mean, that's phenomenal, truly phenomenal. So congratulations. Yeah, I'm super excited. And I, I just, you know, we we're we're doing, we're doing good work at the alleyway and, and, um, and this is exciting that people are seeing it. Right. Um, that as a as a very small at relatively company, um, we're 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 doing great work. So send me your things, please do. And where can they find you? Where can they learn more about you and or the alleyway? Alleyway.com. Okay. Any emails on there? I think I don't know. If not, ask Michael. Fair enough. Excellent. Great. Chris, thank you so much for being here for this today. Michael Raddy, I am so happy to see you. So happy to be here. Just, what a delight, as always. Just wonderful. And thank you again for dropping all that wisdom, of sure. which there was a lot. Sure, I hope so. I mean, who knows? I'm just one person, so take it or leave it, right? Like I said, <laughs> I don't have all the answers. Maybe it's not right. Maybe everything I said is wrong. <laughs> as we like to say in the collective, take it, leave it, throw it out the window. Um, yeah. 
So uh, thank and thank all of you for for being here with us today. I hope you got something uh, wonderful and useful out of today. And if not, well, maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what to do: like, subscribe, all the things. Come join us in the Musical Theater Writing Collective. All the links are down below. You know what what all the deal is at this point. And uh, until next time, friends. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for being here with me today, and I'll see you again soon. Cheers! Thank you for listening to Musical Theatre Writer Guy, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to rate and review this show, as it really helps others to discover what you already know. And please do share this show far and wide, so we may all become an even closer musical theatre community.